So uh, I promised in 2023 that we were going to spend more time focusing on beverage. I'm making that same promise in 2024. Today, uh, I have the great privilege of sitting down with a guy named Jason Hedges. I work with Jason uh, back when I was at Gotham Bar and Grill. He's a very capable, very smart uh, uh, bar manager. Uh, he's also the author of a new cookbook. Uh, it's a cocktail cookbook called The Seasonal Cocktail. So I want to talk to him about uh, his work, his journey. I want to talk to him about the cookbook. And most of all, I want him to be able to share some insights of how you uh, leverage your uh, your beverage program to increase profitability in your restaurant. It's what I care about. And I know that's what you care about. All that on today's episode of Restaurant Strategy. There's an old saying that goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast with answers for anyone who's looking. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast dedicated solely to helping you build a more profitable restaurant. Each week I leverage my two plus decades in the industry to help you build that more profitable and sustainable business. I also work directly with owners and operators all over the world through my mastermind. It's called the P3 Mastermind. It's a group coaching program where I meet with restaurant owners from all over the world, two hours every single week uh, to help them increase the profitability of their restaurants. So you gotta be open for at least a year. You gotta be doing at least a million dollars in revenue. If that sounds like you, uh, then you, you, I want to talk to you. If you are struggling with profitability, if that sounds like you, then I want to talk to you. You should be able to generate consistent, predictable 20% returns every single month. The best way to get started to have that conversation is to set up a free call with me or someone from my team. Visit restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. Set up a free call. We'll get to know you. We'll get to learn more about your restaurant. You'll get to ask some questions about the program that I run. Again, it's absolutely free. Again, restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. And yes, that link is in the show notes. Now, thousands of restaurants across the country use KickFin to send instant cashless tip payouts directly to their employees' bank accounts the second their shift ends. It's a really simple solution to a really big problem because, let's face it, paying out cash tips to your workers day after day, shift after shift, is kind of a nightmare. Tedious tip distribution takes managers away from work that matters. It's hard to track payments, which leads to accounting and compliance headaches. Plus, cash tip-outs create the perfect opportunity for theft. And guess what? There's never enough cash on hand to pay out those tips, so managers are constantly making bank runs. Bottom line, there's never been a secure, efficient way to tip out until now. Meet Kickfin. Kickfin is an easy-to-use software that sends real-time, cashless, tip payouts straight to your employees' bank accounts 24-7, 365. Tipping out with Kickfin gives managers and operators hours back in their day. It makes reporting a breeze and protects your business from mistakes and theft. And guess what? Employees love it, so it's one of the best recruiting tools out there. Best of all, restaurants can have Kickfin up and running overnight. Employees can enroll in seconds, no hardware, no contracts, no setup fees. Get in touch today for a personalized demo and see how restaurants and bars across the country are tipping out with Kickfin. Visit kickfin.com slash demo. And yes, that link is also in the show notes. Okay, so my guest on today's show is Jason Hedges. He is the director of beverage for Laurent Turandel Hospitality. 
Uh, I worked for Laurent uh, a million years ago. My wife worked for Laurent when she was a bartender. I worked with Jason uh, for many years uh, at Gotham when we were there together. And uh, he has gone on uh, to extraordinary things. Uh, he is a beverage expert. Uh, he is a consultant. He's worked for other launches and relaunches. He is also uh, the author of a new book called The Seasonal Cocktail. So I'm thrilled to have him on the show. Jason, welcome. Thanks so much, Chip. I'm really happy to be here. And it's so wonderful to uh, to see you. I haven't seen you. And I guess it's been a, at least a year or two. Uh, maybe even longer. Uh, there was a pandemic in there. It feels like a year ago. <laughs> right. But pandemic happened and we were both stuck in our apartments and then we moved out of the city. Uh, so we're back in the saddle. Um, it's good to be with you again. Um, there's a lot that I want to get to over the course of this conversation. I mean, you have um, risen through the ranks uh, from all the way at the bottom to all the way up and now doing what you do, uh, putting together and running really profitable beverage programs. And I told you before we hit record um, that beverage was a particular focus of this year simply because I sort of ignored it. Um, and yet it's really important uh, for maintaining the profitability of any restaurant given the great margins that typically exist with wine um beer and specifically liquor. So I want to get to all of that. I want to make sure to understand sort of how you approach a program, some insights, things you can draw from from your experience to really help the listeners at home. And then I really want to spend a considerable amount of time as well talking about the book because the book is beautiful. Um, it's impressive. I know you were working on this for, I don't know, five plus years. Um, and it came out just in this past year. Um, and I'm excited to talk to you about that. I know a little bit of the genesis of it, but uh, the people listening do not. So I want you to share some of that. I want you to share a little bit of what's in it because we're in, uh, we're, it's a great gift giving time uh, this time of year. And as we hook around to the beginning uh, of the year, um, and this makes a really great gift. Uh, and I also want to use this to talk about your path, self-publishing this thing um, because it looks great. And so the, I don't know, the, the thing that used to be on self-published books is no longer there when you see a book that's this good. The photographs are good. The the Just the layout, the design of it, which I know your wife uh, was key instrumental there. And then the recipes themselves, which, you know, sort of speak for themselves and, and all of that. So I want to talk about that. So we're talking about beverage. How do you run a program? And then I want to make sure we leave enough time to really talk about this book because this book is really special. Cool. Talk you. to me. Get us started. Give some context. How did you get started in not only this industry, but in beverage. At what point? Because there's a lot of different directions you can go within this industry. What got you into beverage? What got you into bartending and really mixology in this whole? I mean, you sort of came up at a at a great time for this. But but talk to you about your early beginnings and sort of how you got along this path. Sure. Um, so it's it's been a while. So I started out when I was in, in high school, and then it, it was a way working in restaurants was a way to get pay the bills in college. And then after I graduated, I stayed in and worked for a couple of years for the Myriad Restaurant Group in Tribeca, and then kind of um, deviated a bit and, and went down a different path. Um, I worked in, in in real estate as a property manager for many years. And then- uh, No the great, way, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Well, so, so I did that. And then uh, the Great Recession hit. And, um, and, and then that job no longer became fun at all. And it was time for a <laughs> transition. Um, and then I was work, like really closely in touch with my cousin, George, who was a, a longtime New York city bartender. And we were chatting and we we're like, you know, what would be great? You know, we both love hospitality. We've been doing this for a bit. Let's open up our own place. 
let's open up a, a cocktail, wine cocktail bar that also has food. And we started thinking about it and just like really started putting some, you know, some, some effort into, to, into it. Um, I started taking, I mean, I mean, this kind of a thing was like a real undertaking. So I just enrolled in the, the restaurant management class at the French Culinary Institute, which has since been rebranded as ICC. Actually, now is, is a part of ICE. But yeah. um, did that. And while there, started working at Le Col, which was the restaurant of the Institute. And sure. quickly became, you know, working as a bartender because I was simultaneously doing other things because I realized very quickly that, that my, my passion vastly out, outpaced my ability. So I'm like, okay, I've got to basically learn a lot and fast. So while I was at Le Col, I was also taking a, a really incredible course at um, called Bar 5, is the beverage alcohol resource. And there I got a very in-depth uh, introduction to the world of uh, beverage alcohol. It's a class that's uh, was developed and instructed by in the industry elite. I'm talking like um, F. Paul Picault, um, Dave Wondrich, Dale DeGroff, um, Steve Olson, and uh, Doug Frost. So I got basically a really great insight. So we um, taste blind tasted. I don't know how many hundreds of spirits. Um, went into theory, went into, it's basically the equivalent of what it's like to go for a certified sommelier ship on the spirit sure, side. Sure. Um, in the end, we had to create six cocktails and uh, execute them within six minutes. And one, I had to like think, you had to think on your feet and create something. So, um, so it was like a really all encompassing um, education uh, on, on spirits. So doing that, taking the restaurant management course, which was designed to help um, the, the, the participants write a business plan. Um, so I'm writing a business plan, going, working at the International Culinary Center at La Cole, and there I meet uh, Scott Carney, Master Sommelier, who's just started this uh, intensive sommelier course, and I was fortunate enough to start interning for him, and I was managing his cellar and taking the class, and through it, I was able to uh, go and become a certified sommelier. So. I kind of had all of like the theory. I had like a good wine background now, really good spirits and cocktail and the in restaurant management, how to like develop and, and put a, write a business plan. So during this process, I still, George and I were canvassing parts of Harlem, looking for places to open up our new place. Um, and then throughout the process, just learned how paper thin the margins are and um, was we're not really ready to take on that kind of a risk. So I just start continued working. And, um, and as you pointed out in the beginning, I started at the very at the low point and, and worked my way up. And I think that's contributed to the success that I've had, because um, you can't just kind of come into this thing. If you haven't done a lot of the, the things kind of evolving to to this point, it gives me mm -hmm. really good insight on how to, to build and run profitable and successful beverage programs. But I guess that's a long winded answer to, to your, your question about how I got got into it. No, this is great. I mean, the beauty of this, and I said this to you before we uh, hit record, is that nobody listens to this show by accident, that the listeners, the audience uh, that, that tune in uh, to the two episodes every single week, uh, they live, they breathe, they uh, they bleed for this stuff. So I think yeah. um, it's comforting to hear other people's stories and trajectories. And ultimately, I think the goal, my goal is always 
um, to bring value to the people listening so that they can they can take away key things and apply it to their business. Oh, I never thought of that. I didn't realize this. I learned something new and I'm going to apply this to my business to do what I do better, to do it more profitably, to do it more efficiently, whatever. So, um, so yeah, I'm sure your story, uh, we hear all different stories here, but I'm sure it resonates uh, in a certain way. You took the side door, which I'm, uh, I'm just about uh, wholeheartedly convinced uh, that anybody who's been in this business uh, for any uh, long period of time took the took the side door in very few people sit there and dream of being uh what we end up doing a, a beverage director nobody at 14 says i, I dream of being a, a sommelier in a new york city restaurant it just it's not a thing that really exists it's not a thing that a lot of people have access to or um it's not a visible um career path like teacher or doctor or firefighter right. or <laughs> astronaut so um i think it's really interesting okay so you sort of had uh your site set on your own place that became sort of untenable the closer you looked and all that, which I think is the case for uh, a lot of people that end up uh, doing this. And I think there's a lot of people who get into it and not, don't really realize just how tight the margins are. One of the things I want to talk about is beverage, uh, because beverage has the ability to really um, uh, increase the profitability of the uh, of any given restaurant simply because the margins are typically much better than they are with food. You've got uh, yeah. much less waste, typically. Um, better controls aside from the <laughs> voluntary or involuntary theft that sometimes happen happens with with alcohol but mm -hmm. but for the most part there there's a real uh, ability to be uh, profitable here talk to me about how so now you've worked in programs you've run programs now you're in the position to really set up programs or oversee so you're you know at the Aventi hotel in uh, the heart of Manhattan where Laurent Turandel has a bunch of different outposts you're running a big program for multiple venues there. Talk to me about how you approach that job or how you approached that job when you first came into it two years ago and how that's evolved and how you think about it. Okay, sure. So it is, it's a multi-outlet uh, operation and it's important to make sure that the beverage program echoes what's going on in the culinary side, what's going on that fits the concept. Um, so, for example, at Lamico, which is Chef Laurent's biggest ma major opening after um, he left BLT, it's a beautiful restaurant. It's very Italian focused, and so the beverage program, the wine list, it's um, it's a very deep wine list. Um, it's got a Wine Spectator Best of Award of Excellence and Deep Deep Cellar ninety plus percent of it is Italian. Um, on the beverage side, we have a nice section that lean into grappas, into Amari. Um, the cocktails themselves are all either feature Italian ingredients, or I have to also think about the guests and, and maybe not everyone's into bitter or into like this. So even if there aren't necessarily Italian ingredients, the name will be something Italian. So everything is, is kind of fitting the concept. Um, and then, you know, we just opened launched back bar, which is very cocktail focused. It used to be the vine. Now we have a 40 plus cocktail list, which it, it runs everything from, um, inflation proof $12 craft cocktails to, uh, fancy ones that are up around 55, $60. So, um, that was our whole kind of thinking there is to, to really go for, we're looking for like a top 50 cocktail bar in a hotel. Um, okay. so it's very progressive. Yeah. So then let's back up here for a second. Cause you, you, you sort of set the sites. There's two different kinds of places and two different kinds of programs. So 
Lamico is sort of upscale, casual, uh, Italian. Um, it's sort of a loud, energetic dining room. It's vibrant. It's it's right on street level. The kind of cocktails, and you said it yourself, right? We've got to think about the customer, what they're going to want. If you made it solely Italian, because the Italian palate is different than the American palate, it would be different. So, and I'm guessing that you've also built that program for speed because the the focus there has to be getting the drinks on the table quickly so you can get to second beverages, so you can put people at ease and make them happy and all of that. I'm guessing, tell me if I'm wrong, but with the craft cocktail bar with 40 plus different cocktails, some of those are high touch. Some of those probably take longer than a minute to, to put in a glass or longer than 30 seconds to put in a glass. Talk to me about those two things, because with the craft cocktail movement over the last, let's say, 15 years, right? There's been this thing, you know, this move towards, you know, high touch and everything and, you know, really unique ingredients and all of that. And I'm feeling uh, it sort of rebound over the last, let's say, three or four years, probably coming out of the pandemic where uh, a lot more batch cocktails. And I know that's something that you used to do a lot at Gotham when we were there together, um, simply because they can be batched and then we can speed up the, you know, the pickup time at the service bar. Talk to me about how specifically you approach those two things from the guest experience and from the revenue perspective. Sure, that's that's a great it's a great question. Um, so everything you know when you're in a high volume place, every second counts. Um, you think about it. You you know you're a guest. You go to a restaurant. You want to look at the menu. You should be greeted at the table, and a drink order should ideally be taken right away. So you can get the cocktail delivered to you while you're looking at the menu. And making your your decisions and then once you put your order in you can kind of like think about what's next but but speed especially getting that first cocktail out is so critical um to a whole the, the dining experience it's it's really key so what i like to do is create cocktails that where all of the stable ingredients we do is batch them ahead of time and so it eliminates steps and the bar is set up like a, just think about a cockpit in an airplane. So the, the, the pilot doesn't need to, everything's within arm's reach. So just think about the service well as a bartender and any ingredient that the bartender might need is no more than an arm's reach away or just one quick step, a pivot. And it's, it's just, they're easily executed. Um, all of that has to be taken into consideration. Um, with the program like Back Bar, which is so extensive, um, I have in our cellar about two and a half gallon containers with spigots, and we have a bar prep, and we just batch every single thing that is stable and put them in these in in a, a walk in, and they can just be dispensed into the bottle, and so everything is ready to go for for maximum speed and efficiency, and so then they're put into a clear bottle. I even have on the bottle the ingredients. On there so let's just say this is this is a daiquiri very basic you know two ounces this three quarters ounce lime juice three quarters ounce simple so even if i have a bartender with such an extensive program they just need to glance down at the bottle if they need a little a little cheat like okay i, I need this other thing and so just trying to create the you know um success for the team and and make sure that all the mise and plus is there all the prep work is done everything is all the steps are as as you know, um, streamlined as possible. These are all really critical in, in executing a, um, a robust program. So how do you make decisions about growing the program or shrinking the program or, or evolving the program? I mean, is this, 
I mean, I, I'm guessing you look at product mix once a month, once a quarter, see what's moving, what's not moving. You change it, you replace it, you change it out, or, or do you not? Or how do you make those determinations about how uh, how often and, and how to change how to change drinks out and and and, and how to make those decisions? So definitely uh, looking at the P mix and seeing what's moving, what's not. Um, speaking with bartenders, and you know. So I've got profit margin. So you want to, you know, basically operate with, with spirits. You want to get at least at, at like an 18% cost. And so you're not going to get that with all of the cocktails. You're going to basically have your cash cows. I, what I always like to do is create a drink or a few drinks that are really going to appeal to guests and, I, and create drinks that I think will appeal to guests that are also very cost effective for the business. And right. You know, you think about the family of drinks, you know, there's like sours, which, you know, you can easily riff off of. And what is that? It's it's basically a base spirit with a sour element, citrus juice, lemon or lime juice, and then a, a, a sweet component. So you have the base spirit and then you have the sour component acting as giving the drink its structure and uh, its backbone. And then you have the, the, the sweet ingredient, which balances out the... This, the uh, sour and provides texture. This is a balanced drink and it's really basic. Just think about the daiquiri. It's just like a cocktail that um, it's, it's amazing. You can get, you know, it's just uh, rum, lime juice, simple syrup. Delicious, very easy, very inexpensive to make. But you can also riff on that. Once you have that the, the foundation for a drink like that, you can infuse the spirit with any number of different things from teas and herbs and fruits and even uh, tree nuts and things like that. Um, and you can also make cordials uh, and, and infuse syrups. So you can create a lot of different flavors uh, and do it pretty inexpensively. So you're, you're, you're keeping the, the cost margins in, in, in mind and also providing something that's fanciful to the guests. Um, so that's something that's great. And that will help you get, like that would help me achieve my 18% cost margin that allow me to take risks in other places and offer more, you know, luxury. And hopefully in the end, it balances out. So that's kind yep. of, you know, where, where I'm at. And then also seasonality is a big um, uh, factor in, in developing a, a beverage program for me, at least I think for a lot of people. You wrote so, a book about it. I wrote a book about it. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty important. <laughs> Again, to everybody listening, we're, we're going we're gonna to talk about it. But uh, the book that Jason uh, just wrote and released is called The Seasonal Cocktail. Uh, so he, he, this is obviously something he believes uh, enough to spend five plus years on it and put his name on a on a beautiful book. Uh, but uh, so seasonality is big in in what you do, and certainly you work in fine dining, which fine dining in New York City, that sort of seasonality is um, uh, is has to be um, taken into account. Now, I just don't think audiences will uh, will accept otherwise. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and then it also there's a concept here called skirt steak that uh, Chef Laurent uh, launched. It's been just a little over two years now, and um, and so it's just one menu item. It's well, it's skirt steak, uh, unlimited French fries, a salad, and then there's a dessert cart. There's also sides available. So the the food that we were getting no margins on that. We were losing money with the food. So so Chef Laurent was like, look, we want to keep the doors open. Love this concept. It's obviously very popular. We have lines out the door, but we, we have to stay open. So lines out the door, down the block, around the corner. By the way, I've tried yeah. now on three different occasions to go. 
Uh, and I mean, it's literally, um, if anybody knows the account Sisters Snacking, uh, they famously went in there two years ago when it just opened and blew the place up. And yeah. from uh, the day after, there've just been lines literally around the block down the street. Um, it, I mean, it's literally, yeah. again, just to highlight this, it's one menu item. I think you can guess what it is. It's skirt steak. You get a salad and you get unlimited French fries. And then if you want to add sides, if you want to add desserts, if you want to have additional drinks, you can. But it's just a flat rate, just a flat price for that. But you're telling me you guys were operating that as like a loss leader. So the a cheap so steak and a cheap steak and unlimited fries get people in. And then you got to make so that's even more important that you make your margins uh, on the other stuff that you're serving. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so and Sh and Chef Laurent doesn't everything is is premium is top notch. I mean, he's cutting the, the skirt stick. There's not I mean, it's so, you know, they're very meticulous in what they're with their offering and it's only quality. So he said to me, like, look, I want to keep the doors open. We've got to make make the margins up on the beverage side. So I just took that and uh, as a provocation to really do get get creative and um, create some really fun and good drinks uh, on on a value and then half of the drinks are going are on tap going through a draft system so i can control um you know spillage and just really watch um depletions and things like that um and then there's also a lot of beer so we have taps so everything is like is designed with cost margins in line and the guests there's competition is way too in, in fierce in this town you cannot do something that's not going to resonate with the guests so doing it on a value but it's also very very like well thought out and, and and i think well executed but that's the whole thing like understanding the concept and and trying to build within some some uh framework and and that's that's the thing so we're operating at a, at a really um uh ambitious uh cost margins there and that's I can imagine. So I want to get into it a little bit because so the rule of thumb that I was always given as I was coming up in the industry as beverage was uh, uh, considered was you want liquor at around 15, beer around 20, uh, wine around 25 percentage wise. That, that was sort of like the rule of thumb. Uh, if things have changed, how close to that uh, is it currently? And do you or do you totally disagree with that? No, I think that's that's pretty much it's pretty close. So, you know, with wine by the glass, yeah, twenty five, I think is is that mark. But um, you also want to be able to, I think, pass value onto guests. And for me, it's always you know coming in on average. So, uh, with wine by the bottle, I'm looking at probably more like a thirty five percent. And you know, with with beverage, I mean, fifteen is great. Uh, but again, I would be happy with any, anything at or below 18 I'm, I'm comfortable with. Great. And then, and then with beer, yeah, you know, beer, beers can, can be a cash cow, especially if it's on draft and you're really, you know, slinging that. And that's one of the fortunate things that we have at, at skirt steak. It's, yep. it's a lot of the draft and a lot of people drink the beer. So it's, uh, it's a nice thing. So let's talk, let's go back a little bit about the wine. Cause I thought this is interesting cause, cause you're right. I, I think. Uh, the wines by the bottle uh, can be higher. You're aiming for that 35%. But there's nothing to say that your by-the-glass program can't be sub-25% or uh, some percentage of it um, can't be really well-placed uh, because you have a huge purchase and you're able to get preferred pricing for something and you're running that at 15 18%. I've certainly worked with beverage directors who do that. Yeah. And so it sort of evens out some of the... Um, the higher margins that you get from the buy the 
bottle sales. I, I mean, that that's part of it as well, right? That's certainly part of it. Um, you know, just for finding um, really, you know, quality producers in, you know, in, in good, good, good regions, good, good um, areas, wine producing areas is, is kind of key, like knowing how to put something that's really well made and, and getting a good, good price on it uh, on the list is good because the guest is going to be happy and, you know, ownership is going to be happy. Um, that, that's critical. And then the, the high, the more expensive the item is, like the, the lower margins you're going to get. So if I get, you know, some DRC, I, I'm not going to get my sure. the, the rates that I want, but I thought it's a massive sale. I mean, you know, but you're buying the bottle for four thousand and selling it for eighty five hundred. So right, exactly. what do you care? Right. What exactly? That's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> so right. we're talking about gross profit, not necessarily the sure. the yep, margins. All those things I, come into consideration. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, I I totally I totally get it. You know, one of the things that uh, the more you learn about wine and beer and spirits, um, the better you should be uh, at picking out wines, spirits, beers that punch above their weight. And certainly wine, this is one key area, right? So finding some really great wine from some um, unknown region rather than the famous region or getting uh, from uh, the small family producer that's down the street from the big famous producer. Yeah. Um, you know, it's got the same sun, same soil, same same exactly. breeze cooling the, the grapes, right? That that's, you know... It was funny because I was talking to a member of my mastermind who uh, swore he couldn't get his wine, um, his wine cost below about 33, 34, 35 percent. And I said, absolutely not. And he's like, you know, I just I know so much about wine. And I said, then you have to use that knowledge for your own benefit. And when he sat there and realized that, I said, you can find wines that punch way above their weight class. And if it drinks as as well as another more expensive bottle you should be able to reap the benefits of that because you went searched far and wide for something that you get for a great price and you can still lock in some value for the for the consumer it's not about gouging anybody it's about giving them a great experience most people don't feel like they're getting ripped off if they come out to a restaurant and have a great time they feel like they get ripped off when they come out and have a cruddy time exactly (laughs) so talk to me about what are the tricks because i want to talk a little bit about waste and you talked a little bit about the draft cocktails as a great way to manage those those margins because you need them to do a lot of heavy lifting at skirt steak. Tap beer obviously does some heavy lifting there. Batching these cocktails are great because you save time and efficiency, meaning just getting the drinks out. So two or three or four of the touches are already done. They're in the jar, so to speak. And all we have to do is add the simple syrup or add the citrus or add the garnish even. That's a fair assessment, right? Those those are ways to bring some economy to it and bring some efficiency to it. Mm-hmm. How do you think about waste otherwise? Because there's a certain amount of waste that will always happen on fruit garnishes, on fresh juices. Talk to me about how that influences the way you put together a program or the way you train and run a program. Yeah. Yep. So um so like minimizing waste is, is definitely critical. Um uh so looking at the book, understanding how many covers we anticipate and, and not overcutting citrus or, you know, wasting garnish and things like that. Um, I, I guess it's just proper, just, you have to hedge, you have to, you know, you don't want to be in the middle of a busy service and not have the mise en place that you, that you, that you need. So, um, so it, it is, it, it comes from, um, just 
trying to trying to take take a a, a good guess. Uh, and and again, you know, batching batching all the stable ingredients, so nothing is going to be thrown out. And just yep. you know, juicing citrus. I have a great uh, bar prep guy, and so we're juicing citrus every other day, and we kind of know where we're going to be, and so it's fresh, and we're not overdoing it, not wasting any. Um, it's just trying to you have to really kind of be dialed into to all the programs and just understand what's happening. Pop Menu has reimagined the restaurant. They're breaking the mold of the menu, taking the kitchen doors off the hinges and serving up their most comprehensive technology solution. Yet it's called Pop Menu Max. It comes with the previous ingredients you've heard me mention on this podcast. Websites designed with SEO, marketing tools to keep you top of mind with guests, and of course, the patented interactive menu technology. This new recipe brings automated phone answering, third-party online order aggregation, waitlisting, and more to the table. PopMenu's phone answering technology has your ringing phones covered. With artificial intelligence, the simple questions that keep your phone line tied up can now be handled without pulling a staff member from your in-person hospitality. No more missed reservations, no more asking for your hours or missing revenue, and that's just the beginning. You got a passion for food. Pop Menu's got a passion for technology. Together, it's a recipe for restaurant success. And now, even more digital ingredients are in their technology pantry. And Pop Menu is helping restaurants attract, engage, remarket, and transact with their guests on a whole new level. Trust me, if you're a restaurant owner, you need Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. For a limited time only, get $100 off your first month. Plus, you get to lock in one unchanging monthly rate. Go to popmenu.com slash restaurant strategy to claim the offer. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash restaurant strategy. As always, that link is in the show notes. Um, you were talking about... Um you know, try to try to find trying to trying to find value earlier, finding items that you know pit, punch uh, above their weight class, and and I, it's something it came to me because um, there's something on the cocktail side that you can do in the beverage and uh, you know cocktails, and you can kind of figure out how to do that. But also on wine, it's important. So like you can find regions like you know if you're looking for a Sancerre, why not look for Tehran? I mean that's uh, a region that's that's in the Loire Valley, and you're going to get a great wine that drinks similarly to a Sancerre at a fraction of the cost, you know, just like the champagne, you can go for a Cremant Alsace and you're going to get something with the, you know, it's made in the method Champenois and it's can be really, really well made. And you're you're finding items that are going to please the guest. And also you're, you're finding them at a value yourself. I love that. Talk to me about, um, cause I want to make sure to leave enough time to talk about the book. Uh, cause the book is awesome. Um, Talk to me about three, you know, as you're looking. So we have the great fortune. We live and work here in New York City. We, so we work at a very high level with a lot of other people who are used to working at a high level. But most of the listeners of this show are not necessarily going to be uh, in a big city, big market. Some of them for sure are, but they're spread all around. And as they're looking back at their program, they're saying, okay, what are some key takeaways? I want you to, what are some key pitfalls that you watch a lot of, programs make beverage programs when it comes to wine when it comes to beer when it comes to probably specifically cocktails because the margin can be so great what are some pitfalls you see uh, that maybe even you made early in your career or that you watched other people make in your career that you've now corrected but help them say you know what are some pitfalls and and how can they correct them so that they can like make a change today or tomorrow or like and start reaping the benefits that they really deserve so that's that's a really great question um i guess i would start like on the cocktail side like 
you know, sometimes less is more. Um, creating really great flavor and just doing it thoughtfully. Uh, you don't have to just take, you try to say, I want to create a, a fancy cocktail and throw 12 ingredients at it. Um, you can find an idea of what you how, you want to map out. So this is what I would do. This is how I always approach it. I'm going to sketch out um, a cocktail list and I want to make sure that all of the major spirit categories are represented. I want to make sure there's diversity. There's something that's, you know, blissful, shaken, fun, and something that's more like stirred and serious. Uh, and all of these things have to kind of like be represented on the list, no matter what the concept is, I think. Um, okay. And then finding ways to get interesting flavors into the drinks. And so, <laughs> you know, I, I, I lean a lot on kind of like doing, you know, spirit infusions, doing fat washing, um, making cordials. This is, these are things that can add a lot of like layers of flavor and depth and complex complexity to a drink. And I don't have to necessarily go out and purchase the most expensive, like O to V or expensive ingredient to put in it. I can kind of like do a lot of that on my own. Um, and, and that's kind of being thrifty and, and, um, you, you you're not, doing anything you're giving the guests what, what the guest is going to want you're also you know you're, you're, you're keeping the numbers in line um be, like, because if you're doing an infused vodka or an infused tequila there's no need to go out and get the top shelf top shelf top shelf because you're just going to say we're doing jalapeno infused tequila or a pineapple infused tequila or whatever it is that's yeah. the thing that makes it interesting not necessarily that it's some famous fancy expensive tequila am i understanding that right that that's correct i mean i think tasting a lot so i would i would never put anything on the list that i haven't tasted and vetted so um being able to really um analyze and evaluate wine and spirits and understand like you know you're you're, you're putting you're working with something that's quality and you find something that's that's value that can be value driven for for a cocktail list but at the same time, you're also in, in the business of building relationships and um, finding partners who can support. So that's also something that comes into play. So if I'm working with a spirit that's going to essentially go outside of my my cost ratio, I'll have that conversation with the, the rep and say, hey, look, I love your spirit. I really want to work with it. How can we find ways to do this together? What kind of like support can, can, can you offer to help kind of offset the, this kind of risk that I'm taking? And we find ways to, to do that through, you know, through different, you know, events that we can do together, different activations. Yep. And, and in the end, it all kind of works out. So, um, so there's also a lot of that is, you know, maintaining, developing and maintaining good, good partnerships. Um, yeah, it's, it's critical. It's essential. Oh, yeah, I love that. I think we don't talk enough about that. Um, I feel like I've had conversations over the past year on this show about that, about, you know, understand that these that that there's a symbiotic relationship um, it truly is that in the real sense of a relationship is that what do you need and figure out what they need. And then you exactly. think about what the guest needs. And there is a way for it to be a win, win, win all mm -hmm. the way around. And um, it's something we don't. Um, we don't talk enough about, so I appreciate it. And I know that's something that's been really big. As, as long as we worked together, it was it was all about the relationships um, you built, and I know that was key to the to the program that you ran. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. It's 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 critical for sure. It is. One thing that uh, was said to me a while back, they were like, you know, understand every time you touch the product, you're bringing value to it. 
in, in theory, right? And this is true with, you know, an undeveloped piece of land, right? You you cut down all the trees and you pick up all the rocks. There's value now because some work has been done, right? When you put a building there, there's more value there. When you bring tenants and you put a restaurants in the ground floor, there's now more value there. Every step of the way from, you know, same thing with a cow, right? A cow has value. A slaughtered cow has more value. A butchered cow has greater value. And a well-cooked steak has even greater value. The What you paid for an entire cow was a fraction of what you'd pay for all of the cuts and all of the steaks prepared by uh, a really great chef, that, that, that there's value every step of the way. So when you talk about doing these infusions, and I've known you to do all of these, you're you're creating value for the guest because it's something they don't have the time to do or the experience, the know-how to do. Um, and not to mention that you're blending them, you're building a recipe that's really bad, and you're making it for them. You know, that you've taken the time to think about it, to actually do the infusion, to then take the infusion, mix them with a bunch of ingredients, and then serve it and take it away when they're when they're done with it. Like every time we touch that spirit, you know, if you think of it just as basically as that, we're creating value for the customer. And we get to not to put too fine a point on it, but we get to charge for that. And and I think there's um sometimes we have a, a fundamental misunderstanding of what we're doing in the industry, that it's not just, you know, it's not just money for product. But it's 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 value in all the different ways that we're free to talk about value, and so I love that you brought that up about the infusions because I think it is a really great way, for sure, to to bring some uh, to increase the the margins um, in an industry where uh, we have tight margins. Yeah, yeah, talk exactly. To me, mm-hmm. Go ahead. Talk to me about the wines. So you're already talking about wine, okay? So you go the next town over. Don't get a Sancerre. Get you know something that drinks similar, do the Cremant d'Alsace instead of doing uh, champagne. It's made in the same mm-hmm. method, just from a different region, <laughs> you know, very similar, uh, very similar style. What else on the wine side, um, when you talk about uh, leveling up, bringing some more profitability to the program? So, you know, um, <clears throat> finding, finding great producers, um, you know, for, for example, there's uh, a Tuscan producer, that I love, uh, BB Graz. He makes um, some really great wine from Tuscany. He's got, you know, you can spend on his wine, um, you know, two hundred dollars a bottle more. Uh, but we have uh, a tremendously gifted winemaker who also has a Sangiovese that is extremely uh, approachable uh, from from a cost perspective. I think I can get a bottle for you know about you know eleven or twelve dollars a bottle. It's extremely well made, exceptional. Yep. Um, and so then I can turn around and put that on my list and, and get even a greater margin than the 25%. Because I know this is a really well-made wine. I know this is a really well-recognized producer. And it's not going to disappoint. It's going to punch above its weight class. And, you know, finding things like that, like really talented winemakers who have their, their high-end uh, bottlings, but then also mm-hmm. ha- have things that are more, more approachable. You know, you can can look at that any number of either regions or producers. Uh, but the thing with that is just tasting, tasting. Just I, I spend so much of my week, you know, meeting with wine and spirits um, distributors and and just tasting and taking notes and and just understanding where the value is. How is this going to resonate with the, with the guest? How is this going to look on the menu? What is, yep. you know, um, and so it's all. This, you know, finding the quality, finding the value and finding 
how it fits for the, the you know, the profits for the, the how it's going to appeal to the guest. Um, th- these are all in, in, important factors. Yeah. I love it. Talk to me well, one last question here. And I want to go back to the, um, the craft cocktail bar that you were talking about that concept. And I loved how you talked about, Hey, we got, we got really approachable cocktails, right? Recession proof. I think you said, and mm-hmm. then we've got really high end, uh, unique, you know, drinks for 55, 60 bucks. Talk to me about, cause, cause I love this that, you know, I don't know, 10 years ago, you used to have a cocktail menu and all the drinks were 14 bucks or all the drinks are 16 bucks. But I love this that we're starting to separate out where you got a $12 drink, you got an $18 drink, you got, I mean, I was at um, Gramercy Tavern the other day, so another uh, very famous, very well-known restaurant in New York City. Uh, The cocktails were either $24 or $30. I mean, $30. I mean, half the drinks were at $30. And I just thought, oh, okay. But I like this that we're, we're starting to separate out where we can have 12, 16, 18, 22, 32 $62 $62 drinks. Talk to me about how you think about that because um, you obviously have thought about that. Yes. Um, so, you know, I, I was just, um, I was ju- I just did a segment on Cheddar News. Uh, it's the segment that they call stretching the dollar. And it's how you find, where do you find the most value in, in any, you know, uh, given field area. And so they were interested in speaking with me because of these inflation proof cocktails. And, I guess, you know, being able to offer something like this is a—it's it, really satisfying. And um, and I was saying, you know, you have to go back maybe fifteen years to to, to find a fifteen dollar cocktail in this town or a twelve dollar cocktail in this town. Um, yeah, I agree. And to do that, you have to kind of like so. Yes, I'm got, I'm not going to hit the margins on any of them. Um, so I'm talking about like I have a, a drink on there that's. Uh, fat washed with brown butter and infused with vanilla bean and cinnamon it has maple syrup and lemon it's just like it's a riff on an on a whiskey sour but it's really kind of doctored up and um i i know what how much it costs to make it and charging 12 dollars is not going to get me those margins at all but what it's going to do is it's going to get people in the door so we have a whole section dedicated to this and sure they're going to come in and try these drinks but they're going to come in and also maybe get something else they'll get a bite to eat and Looking at the P-Mix, it's very interesting that the menu is laid out. And I've just we've been doing this. It's been open now since um, November 1st. So we've been open for, you know, about a, a little over a month now. Um, and the, 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 the inflation-proof drinks, they're, they're not incredibly selling incredibly more than, than any, any of the other categories, which mm. I find fascinating. Um, it, but maybe it's bringing come. a certain demographic. Maybe it's bringing some people in. That otherwise wouldn't come in. That otherwise wouldn't come in. And uh, and they're there and they're enjoying a drink. And then they're also or do you maybe think tempted they by come something in? else. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. Yeah, they're tempted by something else. I mean, maybe that's the thing that brought them in. They do one of those and then say, okay, well, I, I you know, I, I saved my money there. So let me let me buy a $22 or a $25 cocktail. Do you, do you find that yeah. that's happening? It must be happening. It's happening. It's happening. It's, uh, it's, it's really... Uh, uh, you know, like like any business, like when you, when you first open it, it's going to evolve. It's going to turn into whatever it's going to turn into. You have to just like you know put put it together and try to steer it as best you can. But you know you're gonna you're gonna find out what, what it's going to become. Um, yeah. And and you know we're we're filling the seats luckily right now. And you know there is a draw for this this category, this this um, inflation proof category. But yeah, I mean it's it's um, 
there, there's a lot, a lot more temptation on the menu, which other people are just going into it. And we're selling a lot of the, the fancy cocktails, the Pappy Van Winkle old fashioned, uh, you know, there's people <laughs> coming in for that too. So it's kind of yeah. nice to have the diversity. Um, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, listen, I love all of this. I think there are some really key takeaways there, which I appreciate. It's something that I always strive to do on this show and make it really actionable. So that there's something tangible that, that the listeners can take away from this. Um, the other thing I, we have to talk about, um, and I promised you I would, and I promised the listeners we would. So this new cocktail, for anybody watching this on TV, here's the co- here's the drink. The seasonal cocktail. Um, Jason, talk to me, talk to the listeners about what this book is and what made you write it. Um, so I guess it started back in... Um you know, back when we, we were at Gotham together. And I remember Chef Portali had a menu, on, a page on his menu, the Green Market menu, which is dedicated to what was fresh and in season from Union Square Market, which was only blocks away. And I just found that to be so impressive and so amazing because, I mean, as we know, his food is just, just it's unbelievable. I, I think he's For sure. Delicious. Um, and so I sort of took that as a provocation to, to echo that on the beverage side and wanted to find ways to, to get hyper seasonal. I mean, he has, has a book himself called 12 Seasons, which, you know, takes what's fresh, you know, each month of the, the year. Um, and so I got really serious about that and um, decided to put pen to paper and, and, and you know, document some of these recipes and really lean into it and just started it and, and just, you know, developed and came in you know into you know had to outright the, the structure the the of a book and put the meat on the bones and, and just went with it It was a true passion project and yeah uh yeah yeah so to anybody listening who doesn't know um so i've been in this industry for i don't know more than two decades um i spent eight years at gotham bar and grill now it's been rebranded as just gotham new york um, it's a staple, uh, in the heart of Greenwich village. It opened in 1984. Alfred Portale was, uh, was the chef that really put that place on the map. And, uh, Jason worked there, uh, actually started as a Psalm and then worked, moved over to the bar and then eventually became, uh, the bar director there. Um, and my role changed a lot as I was there in the same way, but, um, we were there for many, many years, almost, um, I would say almost my entire time you were there as well. Um, I want to say you didn't come in that long after me, but uh, I was there for a long time. And um, that place uh, definitely helped shape who I am and how I think about restaurants. Um, Chef Portali, again, Alfred Portali, James Beard Award winner, um, Michelin star chef, um, the way he approached and he was brought up in the industry in the Alice Waters, Jonathan Waxman sort of time in the 80s as everything was like fresh and current and seasonal and of the land and nothing comes from much further away than you know what it takes to to ride a bike there and I'm exaggerating but that was that was the idea and I remember when you came when we started talking about this idea um because you started writing this book and I think you had it pretty much all collected it was amazing um all the work you did and it's a lot of drinks that uh that I recognized from Gotham that you had done um, over the years, I mean, that's the the beauty of having a, a a gig like that is that you get to recipe test and and try out a bunch of stuff and uh, and then try it out on the customers and the guests tell you what uh, what belongs and what doesn't. So uh, right. there are a lot of favorites that we had from uh, from those Gotham years that sort of grace the pages of this. You put the book together with your wife, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. So yep. 
Jason's wife, Sonia, is, uh, among other things, a very gifted graphic designer and helped do all the layout and the graphics, the illustrations, all of that. I'm sure had some sort of hand in sort of the editing, the compiling of this. Talk to me about her role and how you guys work together because because uh, uh, partners don't always work together as business partners very well. Talk to me about how that worked. Yeah, that's, uh, um, she was uh, uh, obviously uh, a critical component of this book. We you know, did this together. We had founded a, a business together ahead of this called Bar IQ. And so we had some experience working together. Um, and so this was just a part of our, our business partnership. And uh we would have business meetings and discuss how we were going to you know lay it out she designed uh and illustrated the book um got us uh in touch with the region publishing where we self-published and uh everything from choosing the paper stock to designing the cover of the the book uh was was critical i mean she did all of that so it was yeah. it was a, definitely um a, a big a big undertaking for the both of us so the premise of the book is that if you're going to make a cocktail, let's keep in mind the season. Let's keep in mind that the things we want to drink when it's really cold out are not necessarily the things that we want to drink when it's really hot out. That the things that we can get our hands on uh, easily when it's hot out is different than the things that we can easily get our hands on when it's cold out. And so you, you sort of map out the book seasonally in that it goes to, we, we have to mention, um, Shannon Sturgis did all the photography for the book. Um, and if you don't know her, um, I'm going to put her link, uh, her handle in the, um, in the show notes, uh, cause she is, I think the very best, um, cocktail photographer in the world. Her stuff is amazing. Her stuff in this book is amazing. It takes what are already great recipes uh, and, and really elevates them, makes them uh, jump right out of the page. So it bears mentioning, um, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, they just, it's no, so, I mean, that was, so that beautiful. was the whole thing. Like she was our, our number one choice and we were able to get her and she's exceptionally talented and, and really kind of like brought the drinks, like animated them and, and, and brought, brought them to, to like so much, um, so much eye candy to the book. It was, it was really, yeah. really nice. A hundred percent. So this book, it strikes me is that it's like a serious cocktail book that this is like a bartender's book. It also makes for a really great coffee table book. It really makes for a really great home book. I mean, we've got it on our shelf with our other, you know, we display it in this glass shelf with other, you know, our other really beautiful cookbooks and all of that um, here in our, in our home, separate from this. <laughs> I, you know, we just, um, it, it's just, it's just, and it really, it feels great, right? Like the, the binding is really good. The, uh, you know, the embossing on the front is really good. The pictures look great. The recipes, sort of the story that you sort of tell throughout it, um, is really, is really great. I mean, was that, I mean, it's tough to, you know, serve multiple masters, so to speak, right. To have a book that would work for serious bar enthusiasts, people who really know what they're doing and also something for the casual, uh, mixologist. I put that in quotes, uh, who just needs to make a drink on a Saturday night when they have friends over, but, but you, you sort of did it with this book. Thank you. Um, thank you. Uh, that's the thing I think, you know, um, and you know what actually happened during the pandemic? I think that created a lot of serious home bartenders. Um, and I think that's so, fair. You know, I, I think the, the, the home bartender now post pandemic is a little bit, I think, more savvy or savvier than than, than the ones pre pandemic. Um, and so, 
so they weren't ready for this book pre-pandemic, but they were <laughs> after they spent two years pretty much in their apartment. <laughs> right, right. And, um, you know, I got to know a, a lot about this kind of like really personally because I was teaching um, online cocktail classes through the pandemic and got in front of like thousands of people. And, and actually, I could observe the level of interest was fascinating. And the questions that were coming from a lot of the participants were like, oh, my God, these guys are serious. This is this is like, you know, there's not just like they're interested in way past the basics and it was like yeah. really interesting to, to, to learn um and the book itself it, it you know it makes things you know you can kind of get as basic as you or as advanced as you want depending on how far you want to take it uh, but the tools are there to, to walk any of the readers through the more complex steps and uh and it's up to the reader to say hey i'm gonna gonna make a yeah an event out of this yeah, that's um, that's exactly what uh, what my takeaway was from the book. And I remember looking over sort of early pages and designs way back pre-pandemic and we were working at Gotham and then seeing what the final result was. And you're and you're exactly right. There were drinks in there where it's just two ounces of this, three quarters of an ounce of this, half an ounce of this and away you go. And there are other things where it's like, OK, in order to make this, I first have to teach you what a shrub is. I've got to teach you about a cordial. I have to teach you. We have to infuse and and all that's in there, and it's laid out really, really nicely. Okay, how do you do this infusion? Well, this is how you make this infusion. Once you have the infusion, then we can make this drink. And um, I, I appreciated that about the book. And like I said, I think that's the unique nature of it is that you can – it really speaks to two different levels, uh, two different kinds of drinkers, let's say. Yeah. I want to drill down just a little bit and talk about the self-publishing that you did because – I just published my book. It was um, uh, it was a hybrid publishing relationship. So to everybody out there who doesn't know publishing, there's traditional publishing, right? Where you go to a publisher, they give you an advance, they sell your book, and you get you know a dollar for every copy sold until you work off that advance, and then you make money after that. Then on the other side, there's self-publishing, which is where you pick up the bill, you foot the bill, and you go find the designer, you go find the illustrator or the photographer, you go find the printer, you do it all yourself. And there's something in the middle, which is hybrid, which is what I ended up doing to publish my book, because uh, I'm not going to sell a million copies of my book, so traditional uh, publishing was going to be really hard to do. And self-publishing seemed like a lot of work on my part, so I wanted to go with a really reputable hybrid publisher who could give me... Uh, choices for really great um, uh, layout designers and cover designers and really great copy editors and 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 all of that. So my experience was really great. Talk to me about what exactly when you guys said you self-published, how did how did that work? How much did you guys actually do? How much outside help did you seek out? What did the publisher that you did end up that printed it? How did all that work? So <laughs> that's uh, that's a, it's a great question and. Um, so at first, we I was working with a literary agent, and we were going to try to go the publishing route. Um, then the pandemic hit, and that that kind of there was a lot of interest in it, and we were but then it kind of dried up. Nobody was doing anything. So the book um, laid dormant for quite a while, and then I resurrected it after the pandemic ended, and I knew kind of like roughly how much money I needed to, to make, to make it happen. So I needed, sure. Of course, a photographer, you need a copy editor, you need to have, um, you know, a marketing budget, but I had some like, so between my wife, Sonia and I, we had like a lot of complementary uh, skill sets. So, you know, I was able to write and lay out the recipes and do all of that. She was able to design it, um, illustrate it, 
and um, a, a family member, uh, her cousin Phil, was instrumental in offering structural editing, and we co-wrote it, and it was just kind of like we had all these things kind of like um, kind of baked in, and so we definitely needed a good photographer, and we wanted the budget for that, and we needed to, to print it, we needed a copy editor. Um, and a marketing budget. So we figured out what the costs were going to be and how to raise the money. And so luckily I was in an area where I could, you know, kind of like offer marketing value to different brands that I was working with. And so mm -hmm. I raised sponsorship money um, through various uh, spirit brands, through, you know, mixers, uh, things mm -hmm. like that. And eventually, and so with the ask, it was, it was, um, it was for a dollar amount. And then with that, the, the, the brand would get um, a cocktail uh, with a photograph and a feature in the spirit section where I talk about like, I love gin and here's why we we're only working with, with brands that we really believed in and really thought yep. were, were great. And so it, it just fit in naturally. And it was written in a way that it wasn't like overt. It was kind of like embedded kind of like, just like throughout the flow. So I think the sponsorship is, is there, but it's not, I think really that noticeable. It's baked um, into the pie, so to speak. It's baked into the pie. And so that was that allowed us to 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 have the budget to go and and print, to hire a great photographer, to get yeah. a good copy editor and, and all of that. So um that that was it. It was just like, you know, finding out what we could do on our own and then what we needed support with and then how to how to find that and pay for it. And so it was And now yeah. you have what uh couple thousand copies of the book sitting in your uh sitting in the corner of your living room yeah no i we actually everything went to the amazon warehouses <laughs> great <laughs> awesome so i bring this up because i just went through this and you just went through this and we are in sort of the content where we're, we're in the creator economy and usually when we think about content creation we think digital right we think uh, oh, well, I'll put stuff on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or I'll make a website or I'll do a podcast or a blog or whatever. Um, but I think it's never been easier to create a great looking book. And so I, I put this out there to all the other, you know, bartenders out there, mixologists out there. I put this out there to all the chefs that are listening. I put this out there to all the smart operators and owners who have something to share with uh, with our industry, with the community at large and all that. It's never been easier to go out and do it. I'm going to put myself out there, chip at chipclose.com. Everybody, I share that email all the time. Uh, that's my email. If you have any questions about this, uh, I'm happy to answer uh, whatever I can. If there's something specific for Jason, I will put you in touch with Jason. Uh, but it's never been easier. Yes, there is an upfront expense, right? You have to pay for the copy editor. You have to pay for the photographer. You have to pay for the printing of the books. But to go and get a thousand copies of the book made or two thousand copies of the book made or whatever and just sell them at your table, have another revenue stream, get your ideas out there, put it on Amazon and have it, you know, just sell and do its thing behind the scenes. I think it's never been easier to do that. That the purpose of this is not necessarily to make money, although you can, it can be a revenue stream. Um, the main purpose is to build authority in that area to put your money where your mouth is, to say, hey, this is me. This is what I believe. It ends up being a souvenir. It ends up being a calling card for you, for your restaurant, for your community, your market, whatever it is. And I'm guessing that a lot of people here are in other markets that are not New York City, Chicago, San Francisco, Los Angeles. Let's say that the biggest chefs in this country come from one of those four markets, maybe a couple others, but 
New York, Chicago, L.A., San Francisco. There's nothing to say that if you're in Nashville, if you're in Austin, if you're in Phoenix, if you're in, I mean, you go on and on that you can't create your own cookbook. And maybe you go out and you go the traditional publishing route, but maybe you go and you decide to self-publish. You need a good photographer. You need a good um, uh, copy editor to help you collect your ideas. You need a really good graphic designer. At the end of the day, that's what you that that's all you need in a in a really great way to like get the thing printed. It's never been easier than it is now. The democratization of this stuff is um, is here. Um, I would I would strongly urge anyone out there uh, who's thinking of it, don't necessarily wait because here's the other thing: the lead time for traditional publishing. Uh, I'm sure you can vouch for this. My my lead time for my book was about I don't know ten months from when we like locked it to when it was released. But the lead time for like a traditional publishing book is like two and a half to three years. I mean, it, it, it's crazy. My wife's cousin is um, is a photo editor for uh, Penguin Random House. It's like three, like they're working on books that are three years from now. I mean, it's it's crazy. So and you don't have crazy. to do that. It's never been easier to do it. And it's a business expense. Just have the business, you know, pay for that. It ends up being a revenue stream back towards the the restaurant and it ends up being a really a marketing uh, a marketing tool you can use. Anything else you would put in for that? Am I am I on? Am I off base? How do no, you feel? you're spot spot on, spot on. Like you know, I, I personally didn't do this to get rich. I'm not going to get rich, but I, I I felt like I had been in at this enough to have a voice that could resonate with people and could be a resource. And I've used it as as a, a way to just establish myself as an authority in in the field. And um, you know, as Al Franken said, all you need to do is write a page a day, and in, in a year you'll have a book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sort of it sort of is true. The last thing I'll say is the one thing you did really well is that, uh, and I say this to the listeners here when we talk about concepts, is that you need a differentiation point. You need to separate yourself from everything else out there. If you're going to put out something that already exists, just a better version or a newer version of something that exists, right? This is the the Irish pub mentality. I'm going to open an Irish pub. Why? We have 400 in the in the in the surrounding six blocks. You've got to have an answer to the why question. And I think you've answered that. That I haven't seen a cookbook out there that says, you know, we should treat cocktails the same way that we're now treating food and, you know, in a seasonal manner that the the ingredients we get access to and the sort of drinks that we crave as human beings um, at different points of the year, they they change and there's different events, right? We, we celebrate holidays in November and December. We um, we're out by the pool. We're, we're relaxing on patios in July and August and September, like we we therefore want want different things. Uh, there there are drinks that we drink in December that I just uh, think would be gross in July, um, and I think we can all think of uh, more than a couple. <laughs> I think so. Um, Jason, this has been great. I appreciate you sharing all this with the audience. I always ask um, my guests the same five questions. Um, can I ask you these five questions? Shoot, Fire they're away. super easy. All right, uh, tell me the last great meal you had. The last great meal I had was in, I was fortunate enough to go to Sicily last month. And I, the great meal was at a winemaker named uh, uh, Federico Graziani. And he just put, it was a lunch. He cooked everything, roasted chicken. It was just so amazing to sit down at a winemaker's table and drink some wine that he had, had just bottled and it's just absolutely memorable. I know it's not a restaurant experience, but, uh, but totally amazing, uh, experience. 
I will say most of the uh, experiences that are shared when I ask this question um, are, well, you know what, my mom, uh, my mom just made blah blah blah. Oh, is it my brother's house? My brother, or you know, I was. Most of them are that, so it's great. I, I love that you shared that. All right, tell me about the last great hospitality touch you've had, where, where something happened. And you were like, oh my, like wow, like that was above and beyond. That surprised me. Like that's what hospitality is. Uh, I just went to, this is er, uh, earlier, what is it? This, this was last Thursday. I was at a, an event at Martini's. Uh, it's, a, it's a cocktail bar in on Irving Place by um, an incredible owner. It's a top 10 bar in, in the world. Um, and the owner, Takuma, I, I had gotten to this event late. It was an event that was being hosted by Dale DeGroff, uh, showcasing his new Amaro and... Um, I'd gotten there late. And so there wasn't a lot of space in the room. And Takuma was hosting this big event for everyone and just found a little table, a little space in the corner for, for me. And I was like, wow, I'm happy to be there. And then they gave me a welcome cocktail and a plate of food. And I had these things in my hand. And I'm like, oh, God, I can just feel like I don't know how to put this down. And he, before I could even look over my shoulder, was there grabbing a drink for me, pulling a table closer to me. And placing it down, and this is a uh, you know a top ten, the owner of a top ten bar, like one of the most talented uh, you know drink makers, bar owners, and just had that like in a room full of people could just see that and got ahead of it. And before I even became a concern, it was it was remedied, and just like the anticipation was just like oh my god, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, I love that. It's awesome. All right. My genie question. If a genie came down and could grant you one wish as it relates to our industry, what would you wish for? <laughs> I, I would wish so. Right now, um, honestly, you know, finding finding quality su- support staff is, is, is been one of my biggest challenges, to, to, be, yep. to be honest. Um, so when, when, when me and you were working together at Gotham, and I think as we, we were coming up, I think there was kind of a different mentality, a different work ethic, a different kind of like holding yourself to a certain standard. Um, you know, if you can't make it in for a shift, you, you find coverage. You, you don't leave your team kind of like flailing about trying to figure out how to get it covered. And, and, and right now, I guess I would wish that it's tough because now, you know, on TikTok, everyone knows like, you know, and it's good. There, there are, there are labor laws and they're there for a reason and they should be. Um, but in order to run a, a, a restaurant, like efficiently, the realities of it, it's like, it, it's very hard to operate. And so, you know, before every shift I can see on, uh, on, on seven shifts, an app that we use for scheduling. All right. Like there are, at least a handful, if not more call outs every day. And it's just like, I can't come in for this reason. And there's no coverage found. I just would love to be able to have a reliable uh, support staff that to, 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 um, I I hear that. I guess I think that thing changes when we come up with a, when we create jobs that are so good that people are waiting in line for. Yeah. So I think, I think it goes hand in hand. I think we're, um, we're being victimized by this. Um, but ultimately I think we control this more than I think we realize. Um, and yeah, I have thoughts on that. Maybe that's another episode we should do. I love it. I think it's a really good answer. Um, all right. Number four, uh, what would you tell someone who's about to open their first restaurant? Wow. Um, I would say work for someone else first. Uh, you know, um, 
because you want to learn it. You, I mean, you don't want to be learning while you're on the hook financially or on the hook to investors. You want to know exactly what you're getting into ahead of time. So use someone else's money first. Work, learn, yep. l- learn it, learn as much as you can before before going into it. Because I almost made that mistake, and and I'm glad I didn't. Because um, I would have I would have been done in, w- w- before the year was out. Um, at yep. that, at the time when I was looking to to, to open something. Um, yeah, that that would be it. Just be be judicious, be be aggressive. I mean, fortune favors the bold. Do it. I love it. Uh, but just go and and be prepared. But be smart about it. Yeah, I love that. Be smart okay, about great. It. Last question. Uh, I want you to tell me about the future of restaurants. I want you to look five years down the line and tell me something you think is coming that others may not see coming. Wow. Um, I think, you know, like the, the upscale casual, I think is, is, is a great, is a great restaurant model. Um, you know, I, I was, you know, speaking with Chef Laurent and he's just, you know, he's a three Michelin star. He's one of the most talented restaurateurs that I've ever known or worked for. And, um, and so now he has Lamico, which is tr- tremendous. The food is amazing. Um, but, you know, he ha- you have to think about to keep the doors open profit margins. And so he's got wood fired um, pizzas. He has pastas. They're all absolutely delicious, but looking for things that can support you know, growth and, and, and profitability. And, um, I don't, there's not a person who sits down at one of, at, at, a, at a table at one of his restaurants who, who feels like they're not just getting blown away, getting top notch everything, but he's savvy and smart. And he knows that, that, you know, he knows which ingredients to use, knows how to use them best. Um, so I think upscale casual is a great category because you can sit down and have a world-class meal and, and the restaurant tour is still not, struggling to kind of like figure out how to make make the bills at the end of the month yeah for sure he is the he is the real deal um and i appreciate that uh i i think that's right um yeah like i said i I opened blt fish and blt prime with him um and he's a very smart very uh capable guy my wife was part of the uh opening team or came in right after the opening for blt steak which was the original blt restaurant and i would say i I, some of the best meals i've ever had in new york city have been at his restaurants um because he's the he's just he's no joke he is the he is the real deal um Jason, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you sharing all of this with the uh, audience. Um, obviously, the listeners, you're gonna, uh, I'm gonna put in the show notes a link to get the seasonal cocktail, um, Jason's cocktail uh, cookbook. But Jason, where else can they go to learn more about you, uh, the restaurants uh, that you're that you're working with, uh, everything you're up to? Um, thank you. Go to to bar IQ bar uh, IQ.com and uh, that's my my website. And uh, Laurent Torrendel Hospitality. Um, it's the, all the concepts that I'm a part of are are there. And uh, my book is is available on Amazon. And if you're in you know in boutique shops around Brooklyn and, and New York City, Kitchen Arts and Letters, um, McNally Jackson, places like that. But but if uh, you're interested in the book, uh, Amazon might be the best place to go. I appreciate awesome. it. Awesome, excellent. Uh, this is a great conversation. I appreciate all you do. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks so much, Jim. I appreciate it. Once again, I want to thank Jason for taking time out of his day to sit and chat with me. Hopefully you got some value out of today's episode. 
All of the links are in the show notes. So if you go, if you want to learn more about the book, more about Laurent Turndale Hospitality, more about uh, Jason, all of that is there. And again, um, open invitation, chip at chipclose.com, C-H-I-P-K-L-O-S-E.com. That's me. If you want to learn more about the self-publishing route, if you want to see if that's right for you, you got something to share, you got a cookbook, you got ideas, recipes, then please do not sit on them. Do not wait for some big, fancy, traditional publisher to come knocking on your door. You can do it yourself. I'd love to chat with you about what I learned having gone through the process. Again, I appreciate you guys being here as I do every single week. One last thing, if you want to help me out, go leave us five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That more than just about anything else helps us grow the listener base, helps us uh, move the needle and and uh, continue to grow this community. Again, five-star rating and review. If you've got any kind of value, go let people know why you listen to the show, what you've gotten out of the show. That's it for me. Appreciate you guys being here. I'll see you next time. <laughs>